All right, Galatians 3, 1 through 5. Let's begin this. Let's read. You foolish Galatians, who has hypnotized you before whose eyes Yeshua Messiah was vividly portrayed as crucified? I only want to learn this from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now going to be made complete by the flesh? Did you suffer so much for nothing if in fact it was for nothing? So then does the Almighty supply you with the Spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? May Yahweh bless His word to our hearts this day. Last week we did a review to get our minds back into gear with what is going on in Paul's epistle to the Galatians. And I used that sermon last week as an introduction to chapter 3. So today we're going to just jump right into chapter 3 and begin going verse by verse. We'll go through verses 1, 2, and 3 today. 3 and 1 says again, You foolish Galatians, who has hypnotized you before whose eyes Yeshua Messiah was vividly portrayed as crucified? Being a follower of Christ does not mean that you instantly get zapped with the power of being immune to false doctrine. The Galatian Gentile believers had been hypnotized into believing false doctrine. They had been bewitched, the King James Version says. Hypnotized, HCSB, cast a spell upon, is what that means. They'd been bewitched into thinking that they weren't really saved until they became proselytes to the Judahite faith. I want to take a few moments to talk about spiritual hypnotization. Brothers and sisters, there are religious men in the world today who are wolves in sheep's clothing. They will not look like a wolf. They will not sound like a wolf. They will not smell like a wolf. They will look, sound, and smell like a sheep. But they will hypnotize you into believing all sorts of false doctrine. And any doctrine that gets your eyes off of our Messiah for salvation is a damnable doctrine that will send you to the lake of fire. Now recently, I've had a few things come across my desk, and it grates against my spirit because it's very unbiblical. But a few things came across my desk where people are saying things like this. You don't need a man to teach you. The Spirit teaches you. Or you don't need to attend a church because you are the church. You can just worship at home. Now what I find funny is this. Anytime I hear a man tell others, you don't need a man to teach you, the Spirit teaches you, that same man then goes on to do teaching himself or directs people to an article or a paper that he has written on a subject or somebody he likes has written on a subject. And that's because, make no mistake about it, you are going to learn from somebody. Nobody sits as a hermit and reads the Bible without any outside influence, no matter who you are. What matters is that you find the right influence. You find the right teacher or teachers. And you need to have solid teachers and biblical influences in your life. You need to have men and women that you look up to. I'm talking about apart from Yahweh and His Son. I'm talking about human beings on the horizontal plane, men and women that you look up to 
and that you listen to for instruction and guidance in your life. And that is because the Bible teaches it over and over and over again. It is false doctrine to say that you don't need a man to teach you, but that the Spirit teaches you. Let me prove that by going through a few scriptures. You can write these down if you take notes. In Exodus 18, the Israelites would come to Moses to learn the law of Yahweh. They would come and listen to what Moses told them and they would apply what Moses told them to their life. They would also listen to other appointed leaders because Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, told Moses, listen, you can't do this alone. I'm glad I finally listened to Jethro and I had Brother Jerry and Brother TJ help me out. I feel like Jethro was telling me, you don't need to do this by yourself. The burden is much too hard for you to carry. So appoint men that are able-bodied, that are trustworthy, hating bribes, that are honest men. Appoint these men to be leaders over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. And let them help you pass the judgments upon the Israelites. So the Israelites as a whole would come to appointed men in order to learn the instructions of Yahweh. When Philip, in Acts chapter 8, asked the Ethiopian eunuch if he understood what he was reading. Remember, Philip goes up to the chariot and says, Do you understand what you're reading? The very astute eunuch said what? How can I, except some man should guide me? In Acts 15, where there was a doctrinal dispute in the early church, everybody didn't just make up their mind and decide what they wanted to do. No, the Bible says that they all went up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders to consider the matter. They needed to listen to what the leaders in the congregation said on that subject. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 4 that Yeshua, the Messiah, gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors slash teachers. Pastors and teachers are not two separate offices. In the Greek there it reads, Pastor teachers, and so there's a fourfold ministry and not a fivefold ministry. But Yeshua gave some to be all of these offices for the training of the saints in the work of the ministry. So apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastor teachers are put in place by our Messiah for the training of the saints so that you can do the work of the ministry. And in Titus chapter 1, Paul told Timothy to appoint elders in every city when he was establishing congregations. And in 1 Timothy 3, Paul gave qualifications for these elders. Now I want you to listen to these qualifications for elders slash pastors slash teachers. I want you to remember, the word bishop, elder, pastor, and teacher are synonymous in the New Testament. A bishop is not a different office than a pastor. Now I grew up in a church that thought that a bishop was different than a pastor. The word bishop is King James Version. Nothing's wrong with that word. Okay. Episkopos in the Greek. It means one who sees over. One who looks over things. And it's the same thing as an elder or a pastor teacher. Paul gave qualifications for elders slash pastors slash teachers in the Bible. Okay. And look at this. 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. It says, This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to be an overseer, he desires a noble work. An overseer, therefore, must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, self-controlled, sensible, respectable, hospitable, an able teacher, not addicted to wine, not a bully, but gentle, not quarrelsome, 
not greedy, one who manages his own household competently, having his children under control with all dignity. If anyone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the Almighty's congregation? He must not be a new convert, or he might become conceited and fall into condemnation of the devil. Furthermore, he must have a good reputation among outsiders, so that he does not fall into disgrace and the devil's trap. Now, first off, if a congregation takes heed to these inspired instructions, they will likely weed out the wolves in sheep's clothing that Yeshua warned us about in Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 20. You'll weed them out. And that is because no wolf who tries to look like a sheep is going to be able to meet all of these attributes and qualifications. Secondarily, elders slash pastors slash teachers are to set an example for the congregation. The Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter 5 to the elders there in the congregation, he says, you are to be an example. Not a lord, not domineering over the flock, but be an example to the flock. What does that mean? So that they can mimic, so that they can imitate your example. It's a righteous example. Many of the attributes listed in 1 Timothy 3 for the elders are spoken of elsewhere for qualities or as qualities that all Christians should have. For example, all Christians should strive for self-control and gentleness. Well, That's two qualifications or attributes of an elder. But the fruit of the Spirit, two of them, self-control and gentleness. So the elder needs to meet the qualifications so that he can be an example to the congregation. So that they can see that example, that human example, and follow that. The office of an overseer, that is an elder or a pastor, it is not an office that a man sees in himself. I don't believe a man should read that text in 1 Timothy 3 and then say to himself, yep, I meet all of those, so where do I sign up? I need to be an elder, I meet every qualification. I don't think that's what it's talking about. If a man says that, that's likely a man that's not qualified for the job. The attributes listed in 1 Timothy 3 are seen in the man by the congregation or by people other than himself. It is others who will see such a lifestyle in a man and thus will seek for him to be appointed as an overseer for the church as a whole. Now, it is foolish... And this is why Paul says, Oh foolish Galatians, who hath hypnotized you that you are not even able to believe the truth, some translations say. Listen, it is foolish to see people being told not to listen to pastors teach the word and then at the same time be told that they need to listen to the guy that's telling them not to listen to the pastors. That's what I saw happen here recently. Listen, saints, listen very clearly. If a man is not part of a local congregation. And if a man does not meet the qualities listed as an elder, pastor, teacher, then he has no business teaching the Bible. Do not listen to that man. What that man needs to do is join a faithful local congregation and submit himself to the elders of that congregation. And if we only submit when we agree, then it's not submission. Submission is most clearly seen when you submit to an authority that you do not agree with. Hello. Amen, lights. <laughs> Are you with me? The New Testament teaches that there is no such thing as a Lone Ranger isolated Christian. We are called to be part of a congregation of believers. 
We are called to have elders over us. I'm called to have an elder over me. You're called to have an elder over you. We're called to be held accountable by other people. And we are called not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. If a person does not abide by what the Bible teaches us to do here as believers, they will be more susceptible to the outside influence of the false teachers. And in Romans 16, 17 through 18, it says that the false teachers with good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. And it says, Paul says, to mark them who cause divisions among you and offenses contrary to the doctrine that I have taught you and avoid them. Do you know there are some people you are called as a Christian to avoid? I'm talking about religious people. You're called to avoid them. Now I know that's not tiptoe through the tulips, Bible verses and Psalms, but that's Bible verses nonetheless. And the reason I bring this up is because the Galatian Gentiles had allowed certain men to come into their midst after the Apostle Paul had left his evangelistic journey and these men hypnotized, bewitched, put a spell upon the Galatians into thinking that the spiritual experience that they had happened in their life wasn't real. You're not really saved. You're not really born from above. You don't really have the Spirit. And look again at the end of verse 1. The end of verse 1 says, Before whose eyes Yeshua the Messiah was vividly portrayed as crucified. Paul, through the preaching of the Word, had painted a picture for these Galatians of the death of Yeshua on the cross. Have you ever heard a good sermon? And then maybe afterwards you or somebody else said, you know, that pastor, he really painted a picture for us. Well, that's what this means at the end of verse 1. Paul had placed Yeshua the Messiah's crucifixion on display. It was a vivid portrayal. He probably taught Isaiah 52 and 53 to the Galatians. And Paul is saying, look, this has happened to you. You were taught vividly that the death of Yeshua is what secured your forgiveness of sins. The Galatians heard the word. They had faith in the message. They received the Holy Spirit. But now they were thinking because of the influence of false teachers, hypnotic teachers, they were thinking they needed to go back and do something else in order to really be saved or or something else to secure their salvation. How foolish this was of them. Paul minces no words. Paul teaches us here in this text that there are times that call for harsh words. Oh, foolish Galatians. Do you know what synonyms for foolish are? Stupid, idiotic, unwise. Oh, stupid Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who has hypnotized you? Paul goes on to say in verses 2 through 3, I only want to learn this from you. And I sent some sarcasm here on Paul. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish after beginning with the Spirit? Are you now going to be made complete by the flesh? I want you to notice Paul addresses the Galatian Gentiles as receivers of Yahweh's Spirit. That means these are Christians. These are Christians that Paul is rebuking for being hypnotized. These are believers. You can't receive Yahweh's Holy Spirit if you're not a believer. These are believers that have gotten off track. Paul is calling them foolish. And Paul is asking them, did you obtain Yahweh's Holy Spirit by the works of the law? And remember, in the context of the book of Galatians, the works of the law are specific outward works 
being pushed by the influencers as the primary factors for obtaining salvation and covenant status. These influencers weren't coming in here and teaching, when it says by the works of the law, they weren't coming in here and teaching things about honoring your parents or not committing adultery or things like that. There were specific outward signs that they believed differentiated them from the Galatian Gentiles that made them better and saved and the Galatian Gentiles second class and not saved. And Paul is saying, did you receive the Spirit this way? By obeying all of these things that the influencers, the false teachers, the false brothers, Paul calls them in Galatians 2, did you receive the Spirit once you did what they tell you to do? Or did you receive the Spirit by hearing with faith? The main thing that the influencers were pushing for salvation was this, conversion to being a Judahite, proselyting to being a Judahite. Through, mind you, through physical circumcision. Paul in Galatians is not teaching against the commandment of circumcision. He is teaching specifically against a doctrine that teaches that you are not saved as a Gentile until you become a Judahite through a ritual circumcision. It's a doctrine that Paul is combating against, not the commandment itself of circumcision. Now, to the false brothers, there was no way that a heathen could be saved until he submitted to their plan of salvation through proselytization. But was that how the Gentiles received the Spirit? Did they first get circumcised, put on tassels, strap a phylactery to their hand and their forehead, go to the temple and make a sacrifice, and then all of a sudden the Spirit of Yahweh come down upon them? Or did they receive Yahweh's Spirit by hearing with faith? Did they hear the gospel message, believe the gospel message, and then receive the Spirit at that time. Well, the Apostle Peter was chosen by Yahweh to first preach to the Gentiles. And what he means by first preach to the Gentiles is first preach to the uncircumcised. That's the meaning of that. There were non-Judahites that were already in the fold at this time. I'll mention that momentarily. But the Apostle Peter was chosen by Yahweh. Yahweh used Peter as the very first vessel to preach the gospel, the good news of Yeshua the Messiah, to an uncircumcised heathen, as the Judahites would call him. And his name was Cornelius. And in Acts 10, 34-43, Peter preached the gospel message. And the Bible tells us in verses 44-46 through 46 of Acts 10, while Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit came down on all those who heard the message and the circumcised believers, that's the Judahites, who had come with Peter, they were astounded or amazed or astonished because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also, for they heard them speaking in other languages and declaring the greatness of the Almighty. And remember, remember, I mentioned this last week, the reason that Yahweh poured out the gift of languages, which is a gift by which you are given the ability to speak in a language that you have never learned, it's a miracle, the reason the Gentiles, Cornelius and his household, were given that gift was because that gift matched the same gift that was given to the apostles in Acts chapter 2. And Yahweh was showing Peter the salvation that you obtained and your people obtained in Acts 2 is now being given to the uncircumcised believers in the Messiah here in Acts chapter 10. And proof of that is they got the same gift. 
That doesn't mean that everybody that receives the Holy Spirit operates in that only gift. doesn't mean that at all. There are many gifts. There's nine gifts specifically in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Gifts of the Spirit. Faith is one of them. Healing. Diverse tongues is one of them. But that's why the Gentiles got that gift. Now the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out upon not just the apostles, but also physical non-Judahites in Acts chapter 2. But the non-Judahites in Acts chapter 2, the Bible tells us, were proselytes. They weren't like Cornelius. They used to be heathens, but they had proselyted to the faith of Judaism, which Judaism is not a bad word. Judaism is a word that means the way of life for the people of Judah, basically the keeping of the law of Yahweh. You can study that in the book of Maccabees. You don't have to take my word for it. The people in Acts 2 were proselytes. And a proselyte to the faith of Judah was a person from another ethnicity or religion who had ritually converted to the faith of Judah through physical circumcision, a mikvah, and then if possible he made a sacrifice at the temple. And they would also adopt the outward signs of the people of Judah like the beard, the tassels, the phylacteries, and all of those are well and good. All of those are part of Yahweh's law. Nothing wrong with any of those commandments. But what happened to Cornelius was different. Cornelius was not a proselyte. Cornelius had not been circumcised. He had not did the the Judahite baptism. He had not offered a sacrifice at the temple. He was a centurion of the Italian regiment. He did not grow up in the Torah. He did not have parents that taught him the law of Yahweh. But he did pray to the Almighty. He did give charity. And he had a good reputation among the Judahites. And his prayers and his gifts of charity had come up as a memorial before the Almighty because he was a fearer of the Almighty to the capacity that he knew how. But he was not yet saved because he had not yet heard the message of the Gospel. And the angel told Cornelius, we'll talk about this next week, the angel told Cornelius, I'm sending a man that's going to speak words words to you by which you and your household will be saved. So Paul asked them here, did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? They had received the Spirit by hearing with faith, not by the works of the law. That's the whole purpose of Peter receiving his vision in Acts chapter 10. Yahweh had to show Peter not to call any man common or unclean, Acts 10.28. But in every nation, Peter says in Acts 10.34-35, he says, Of a truth, I now know that Yahweh is not a discriminator. But in every ethnos, Greek ethnos, that's where we get our word ethnicity, by the way. But in every ethnos, he that feareth Elohim and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. That's what Yahweh showed Peter in the vision in Acts chapter 10. So when Paul asked the Galatians in 3, 2, and 3, if they received the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith, they knew the answer. It was a rhetorical question. They already knew the answer. All of them had received the Spirit by hearing with faith. And Paul said it was foolish for them to go back and think that they had to complete their salvation by doing something in their flesh. Are you now going to be made perfect or complete By the flesh. And I believe that Paul uses the word flesh here to refer to the Gentiles converting to Judaism through physical circumcision. 
Paul is telling them, when you heard the gospel message and believed, hearing with faith, the Spirit came down upon you. The indwelling of of the Spirit is the sign that you belong to Yahweh. It is. It's the down payment in Ephesians 1. Brother TJ taught on it not long ago. It's the down payment of our inheritance. The giving of the Holy Spirit. You do not have to follow someone else's plan of salvation. Paul is telling you foolish Galatians, what are you doing? You don't have to change something in your flesh in order to complete your salvation. Now looking at and meditating on this text has challenged me. And that's because the very first thing that Paul appeals to in the salvation of the Galatian Gentiles is their experience. Now that's not the first thing I would have appealed to. That's why this verse challenged me. Now he's about to appeal after this to the experience of Abraham and the books of Leviticus and Deuteronomy as we continue in Galatians 3. Next month we're going to spend all three lessons on Father Abraham. But that's what Paul appeals to second and third. But first he appeals to their experience. He asked them, he asked the Galatians, I want you to think about what happened to you. Was it the works of the law, the outward signs of Judaism, that brought you salvation? Or was it the hearing of the word accompanied with faith, hearing with faith? What did you experience? Now, I think that people today tend to get caught in the same trap that the Galatians were getting caught in. And that's because some of us, like the Galatians, were not raised in covenant homes. You were not raised by parents who practiced the Torah. I think that's most of us here. Or maybe some of us were not raised by parents who practiced the Christian faith at all. That's some of us here. That's a lot of people that I know. When you had a change in your life, when the Spirit indwelt you and caused you to desire holy things rather than unholy, did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? I guarantee you, you received it by hearing with faith. Because that's how everybody has received it. Old covenant and new covenant. We're going to see next month that's how Father Abraham received it is by hearing with faith, believing, trusting, putting confidence in what Yahweh told him and promised him. Nobody in here started keeping the outward laws in the Torah and then had the Holy Spirit indwell you. Nobody. What happened was you heard the gospel message. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the message preached. How can they hear without a preacher? There's another verse that tells you You need solid teachers and preachers in your life. How can they hear without a preacher? How can he preach except he be sent? Remember them qualifications? If he doesn't meet them, he's not sent. Brothers and sisters, don't listen. Don't listen. But someone preached the Messiah to you. At some point in your life, you heard the message of the Word. And you believed it as a little babe in Christ. Someone told you that He was wounded for your transgressions. Someone told you that He hung there on the cross for you in love to pay the penalty for your sin. Somebody told you that Christ died for your sins. And when you heard that message and you believed it, 
you receive the Spirit at that time. Ephesians 1.13 says the same thing. It says, When you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed in Him, you were also sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. That's exactly what Paul's saying in Galatians 3, 2 through 3. Did you receive it by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Now, now, let me balance this out a little bit. As the years have passed, if you're a believer and you receive the Spirit by hearing with faith, as the years have passed in your life and you have matured spiritually, you've aged spiritually, you've learned about areas of obedience, have you not? Sure you have. Yahweh didn't put it all on you at one time. But little by little, you've learned of areas where you are called to be obedient to Yahweh in your life. And you have applied Yahweh's commandments to your life because of the conviction of what? The Holy Spirit that already indwells you because you got the Holy Spirit by hearing with faith. So you're not the same person. You don't live the same way. But the areas of obedience in your life are not what saved you from your sins. Are you listening? Let me say that again. The areas of obedience in your life are not what saved you from your sins. The salvation from your sins happened long ago when you first had your experience of hearing with faith. That's when you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And for someone to come along and try to rip that from you, and tell you you must do something in your flesh in order to be saved is distorting the gospel. Paul said, I pronounce a curse upon the man that does that. Galatians 1. Basically what Paul is saying, I'm going to say this for the sake of emphasis, Paul is saying, let that man be damned if he distorts the gospel message of the Messiah. The gospel is about what Yahweh did for us in His Messiah. That is why you have salvation. And that is how you have salvation. Good works come after salvation, not before. We don't get holy to get Yahweh. We get Yahweh to get holy. We don't change our ways to be saved. Our salvation changes our ways. Don't ever distort the gospel. It is that important. What you believe here is that important that it could cause you to die in your transgressions by trying to say that the gospel is something that it's not. Don't ever tell someone who has had an experience of hearing the gospel and who has received that message by faith that they're not really saved because they haven't done something in their flesh or because they don't have the right flesh that you think they should have. And don't ever let somebody tell you that you haven't received salvation if you have heard the Word and received it with faith. Brothers and sisters, I told somebody this past week, I said, I believe that we all as Christians bear fruit, but what a lot of people forget is that in the parable of the soils, all Christians do not bear the same amount of fruit. And that doesn't mean that the one that bears 90-fold is more saved than the one that bears 30-fold. Now, I believe that there's rewards and I believe that there are positions in the kingdom of heaven And there are roles that people play and there are roles that are already filled that I couldn't have if I wanted to have. I'm not taking Moses' role. I'm not taking King David's role. I'm not taking the prophet Eliyahu's role. 
But when it comes to the message of the gospel, when it comes to salvation, I am on exact equal footing with Eliyahu, Moshe, and King David. Exact same footing. I am one in Christ with them, even though their role and their position is higher than mine. Don't ever let somebody deceive you and hypnotize you into thinking that you haven't been saved because you haven't jumped through their hoop if you've heard the message of the gospel and you've had faith. Listen, brothers and sisters, as I close, four points. No one deserves to be saved. No one qualifies for Yeshua's blood. No one is pure. Job says not even the stars are pure in Yahweh's sight. No one is good, not even one. Every single person who has ever been saved, Old Testament or New Testament, has been saved undeservingly by grace through faith. Every single person, none of them deserved it. Nobody deserved it. And if you can remember that, brothers and sisters, if you can get that in your spirit and get that in your soul, and that's my message, that's going to be my message till the day that I die. I'm going to continue to be a herald of the gospel of of the Messiah. Anybody that's ever been saved has been saved undeservingly. He has not dealt with you as your sins deserve. If He dealt with you as you deserve, you would be in hell. Yahweh did not save you because of who you are. He saved you in spite of who you are. Be thankful. Give Him glory. Watch out for wolves. They're out for the prey. Trust me, I've been hoodwinked by them before. They're out for the prey. I love everybody. We'll finish this up next week in Galatians 3, 1 through 5. Let's stand and close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I love you and I thank you and I praise you. You are good. You are good. You are good. You are holy, holy, holy. Yahweh, Father, I love you so much. I'm so thankful to know that it's because you first loved me. Yahweh, Father, I pray that you would help me to continue to think less and less of Matthew and more and more of you and of your Messiah. Yahweh, Father, I pray protection over the people in this congregation. I pray that you would protect them from the wolves outside that would try to distort the gospel and preach another message, even if it be an angel from heaven. If they preach another gospel, I let them be accursed. Protect the minds and the hearts of your people. Give them ears to hear what the Spirit says. Give them eyes to see. Father Yahweh, thank you for the indwelling of your Spirit. Thank you for the down payment of our inheritance. Thank you for your word. Bring us back here next week to finish this beginning of Galatians chapter 3. We love you, we thank you, and we appreciate you. It's through your son, I pray. Amen. Yahweh bless you. Shalom.